Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I got to tell you this real quick. Last Sunday, uh, down in uh, St. Augustine, Anchor Faith Church, St. Augustine, you know, we ministered on lordship uh, last Sunday. Well, I did not know, of course, we're preaching at the same exact time. Um, Pastor Earl and I, he ministered on lordship. You know, we had a great response, great altar filled with responses to declare Jesus as Lord. Amen. Well, they were doing water baptism. Uh, they had four signed up initially. They ended up baptizing 35 people. Bunch of people went home wet. Amen. But, you know, I love how Pastor Earl put it. He said, it'd be better to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and go home wet than to disobey and go home dry. And be comfortable, amen? And so a bunch of people went home soaking wet, did the best they could to dry off. Uh, but hey, they didn't bring a change of clothes. But man, that's what the, the tenacity takes, the audacity to, to boldly go. Uh, and this was, these were people that had been baptized and had come into the kingdom, but there was a shift in perspective that took place, just like many of you had a shift in perspective last week when we talk about Savior and Lord, um, you know, it, you think about it, if we would acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we would not need him to be Savior. Huh? Savior was what he had to become because we failed to acknowledge him as Lord. So that was a secondary role or, or, or position, if you will, that he had to take on. This is why lordship is so valuable, but we have too many believers just confessing Jesus as their Savior getting them into something, but not giving them access to their life beyond salvation. And so, um, man, that shift was incredible last week. I believe it was for you as, as it was uh, for myself as I was studying it and preparing it. And um, it, it is a, a shift of thinking, but that's what we're talking about this year. And that's what Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 15. He says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, why do your disciples obey, disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. I'm just gonna tell you right now, you can have the kingdom or you can have religion, but you cannot have both. One will have to be compromised for the other. You will have to ignore one to claim the other. Why do your disciples ignore our age-old tradition? And Jesus responds in verse three, why do you, by your traditions, violate, or you could use the word ignore, the direct commandments of God? And so we recognize that Jesus came to be disruptive, if you will. Jesus came to challenge religious thinking. Jesus came to challenge man's approach to how we claim God, how we claim a relationship with God. And over time, uh, we become really good at accumulating traditions. We become really good at, you know, wording things just a little bit differently. I'll tell you right now, a little bit of truth, quality over quantity, a little bit of truth is greater than a lot of truth laced with a little bit of doubt. I'll say that again. A little bit of truth is greater than a lot of truth laced with 
just a little bit of doubt and unbelief or religious activity. He's wanting a pure truth in these last days. He's wanting something that is not contaminated by man's ideas and man's agendas. And so it puts us in a posture where we need to reevaluate things. We need to get a new look at things that we've always thought we believed or thought we understood, thought we lived by, thought was a principle of Jesus, but it takes a, a, a new lens, it takes a new frame of shaping something. And so we actually started there last week in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, Jesus is kind of saying the same thing that he just addressed in Matthew chapter 15. He says, who would patch old clothing, verse 21, Matthew 2, verse 21, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink, rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Verse 22 is where we really want to hone in on, we want to focus in on here. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins. The wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wine skins. Wine skin, what is that? It's the frame of mind. It's the perspective. It's the lens, if you will. The lens doesn't change what is there. It just changes how you see it. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing lenses right now. Without these lenses on my face, you are a blob. I'm not able to make out eyeballs. I'm not able, I see colors. You know, honestly, I couldn't even make out, you know, gender from this distance. I couldn't make out, uh, you know, height or weight or, you know, really any kind of physical element. You're there. The reality is, is you're there. You didn't all of a sudden become blurry. You didn't all of a sudden become a blob. You didn't all of a sudden uh, become, you know, hard to see. But when I put on the lens, now things become clear. Now I can see distinctly what's right in front of me. Every minute detail, every fine detail. And then of course, the closer that I get, the more that I can see. It's bringing things into perspective. It's bringing things into a, a, a better vantage point where I can see clearly what the intended purpose from the beginning was. And so that's what he's saying. Without the correct wineskin, I'm gonna ruin the wine. But when I put it in the right wineskin, and the only right wineskin is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the lens through which you view everything in the Bible. It is not merely a theme in the Bible. This week we're gonna talk about the kingdom of God. No, the kingdom is the lens through which I see faith, I see the Holy Spirit, I see the power of God, I see prayer, I see love, I see the, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Um, I, it, it is the lens, and without that, I'm trying to see something that is there without the correct lens. I'm gonna distort it every time. I'm gonna get it wrong every time. No, we need the right lens. We need the right lens. But the problem is, is we have all kinds of lenses that we accumulate throughout our lives. Experience becomes a lens. 
Grandma becomes a lens. My old pastor becomes a lens. Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Church of God, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, Holiness Pentecostal, uh, going on down the line. They all become lenses framing the word. And he says, if you don't change or get the correct wineskin, the correct lens, you'll ruin both the lens and what you're trying to see. You'll ruin the wineskin and the wine. And so there are just some items that require some reevaluation through the correct lens. There are some items that maybe we've stood on, believed on, adhered to, abide by. It doesn't mean you're wrong. I, I, I want to get this you know, back into alignment. This isn't for questioning your salvation, questioning your belief system. God, answer, God asks questions to reveal truth. When we stop asking questions, we stop learning. When we stop learning, we stop growing. But you can ask questions in doubt and unbelief. Or you can ask questions wanting to know. We just saw Pharisees and Sadducees that asked Jesus a question, but they did not ask to learn. They asked to test, to challenge, to uplift and promote and prioritize their belief system and their agenda over what Jesus was doing. They did not come postured with, just show us the right way. They did not come postured with, we just want to know the truth. Whatever it is, if we're wrong, we're wrong, we'll yield to whatever your way is. Please show us the right way. Now we know that they came to test him and challenge him. Whitewashed tombs, uh, hearts of stone that were not moldable, teachable, trainable, coachable. Amen? And so last week we reevaluated the posture of lordship. And again, um, if you missed it, you need to get back online. We can go deeper into all of these subjects, and maybe at some time we'll break these items down. But we, we, we briefly went over understanding the difference between Savior and Lord, because if you merely accept Jesus as your Savior, and again, we're not devaluing or demoting the posture of Savior. We need a Savior because we failed and we could not acquire restoration without the salvation work that Jesus provided. But again, we wouldn't need a Savior if we'd adhere to his Lordship, and he wants to be Lord again. He became Savior so you could make him Lord. Savior was not the goal. Savior was now I have saved you. Now, let me be the Lord, the owner. We said it was defined this way, supreme in authority. The final say. Make him the Lord, owner of property. Owner of property. See, when I was leasing this property, I had to go to a landlord it's probably the closest thing that we have uh, in connection to lordship because Lord is not a church term. It's not a Bible term. It's not a Christian word. Lord is a, a, a governing word. Lord is meaning I am the owner. You submit this to me, but then also in return, when you submit to me, su submit to me I provide for you. So I, you know, I can't have the blessings of Lord if I won't submit to the commands of Lord. 
Oh, we want him to be Lord when Lord meet my needs, Lord pay my bills, Lord bring my bring my spouse, Lord heal my marriage, Lord, Lord, Lord. But then when he's saying, well, acknowledge me as Lord in going where I tell you to go, doing what I tell you to do, saying what I tell you to say. And then you won't have to ask for him to meet your needs. It becomes an obligation of the Lord as a byproduct of your submission. Amen. So there's a value in lordship. We reevaluated lordship. Today I want to reevaluate the principle of repentance. Repentance is really where we need to start because repentance is really the essence that gets us into all that the kingdom makes available. Repentance is the acknowledgement. Repentance is the turning away. Repentance is the coming to. In, um, let me start with Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Matthew 4 and verse 17. And um, I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified Classic. Matthew 4, 17. In the Amplified Classic, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Now, this is after Jesus uh, has been baptized by John the Baptist, come up out of the water, Holy Spirit descends upon him uh, by a dove, uh, like a dove, and then he begins to go out. Oh, he's also fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and been tempted of the devil, and now he's commissioned for ministry. Now he begins to do the works of the kingdom. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, crying out, repent. And the Amplified Classic says this, change your mind for the better. Heartily amend your ways with abhorrence of your past sins, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom. Jesus preached on the kingdom more than he preached about going to heaven. Jesus preached on the kingdom more than he preached about salvation. Jesus preached on the kingdom more than he preached about saving you from hell. Jesus preached on the kingdom more than he preached about walking streets of gold. Jesus preached about the kingdom uh, more than he preached about no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more hurting, no more anxiety, no more worry. He preached about the kingdom far more than any of these other subjects I just listed. He preached about the kingdom more than he preached about the cross. Change out the wineskin or you'll lose the wine too preached about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is like this, for the kingdom of God is like that. Preached so much on the kingdom that people began to think that he was coming to bring an actual political movement. Is this the time that you're raising up this kingdom? He would get asked. Where is this kingdom? It's not here or there for the kingdom of God is within you. He ministered on the kingdom so much so people began to even misinterpret the, 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 the figurative for the literal. They began to look for, and there was one point where it says that they actually tried to take him as king, as a physical king. And he had to remove himself 
because he didn't come to be a physical king at that point. Now, he will come as a physical king, as a reigning king, as a ruling king. The next time he comes to this earth, to this planet, he's coming as a ruling and reigning king with a sword in his mouth, not the suffering servant. First time we saw him, we see him as a suffering servant. He came to lay down his life. The greatest of these must first become a servant of all. But the next time he comes back, he's coming as a ruling, reigning king with power, with glory to demonstrate the kingdom of God on the earth in totality. But he says in this statement, Jesus is ministering, repent, change your uh, thinking, change your mind for the better, heartily amend your ways with abhorrence of your past sins for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I also looked this up in the Amplified. I guess uh, several years ago, they revised the Amplified, and this is what the new Amplified says. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins. Do we have that one, guys? We don't have that one? Change your past, uh, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Live your life in a way that proves repentance. You can already see that we have accepted a traditional understanding of repentance compared to what these scriptures are breaking it down and showing to us right now. It goes on to say this in the Amplified, seek God's purpose for your life. I'm going to read those again. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In essence, Jesus is saying this, without repentance, you can't even receive the message that I'm bringing. Unless repentance is accepted, is received, is proven, is lived out, unless we understand how, how repentance works in the life of the believer, it will be a a blockade, if you will, to walking into the kingdom of God. This is what he's saying. I'm bringing you a message that will require you to think differently. Now, this word repent, if you just look it up, you know, by definition, uh, it just simply means this, regret or remorse. But by the Bible's definition and by kingdom definition, it means far more than just a regret or a remorse of something. It literally means this. It means change your thinking. It means to change your mind. You cannot change your life until you change your mind. Change your thinking. Change your mind. And then it also means this. This is really interesting in the Greek. It means this. Side with my party. Side with my party. It's actually a change of political affiliation. Um, let's say it this way. It's a change 
of allegiance. See, when you come out of the kingdom of darkness, you come into the kingdom of God, you can't receive all that the kingdom of God provides unless you change your allegiance from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of his beloved son. We're talking about kingdoms. We're talking about government systems. We're talking about affiliations. We're talking about uh, who I have my allegiance to, who I side with. So repentance, we're already recognizing, carries a far greater theme and a far greater expectation than what we typically uh, just, you know, sand over the top of it, just barely cover the top layer of regretting past sins. Repentance apparently is far more than just saying, I'm sorry. And as you know, that saying, I'm sorry, can be done even in the incorrect spirit. You end up with the remorse of Esau. I'm sorry I got caught. People will come to altars because they're sorry that they got caught. They will come to the altar because they're afraid of the burning pit of hell. They're afraid of the the price that they pay separated from God for eternity. You know, back in my day, there were evangelists, man, they could preach fire, hell, and brimstone. You could start smelling it. Your seat starts getting a little hot. I mean, you feel like you're getting real close. You know, it's kind of one of those postures, you know, when you... um. You know, and this is repentance, by the way. You're on the interstate, speed limit 75, you're going 85, you come off the gas pedal. That's repentance. That's literally what repentance is. It's shifting from out of alignment, getting into alignment. But you know, sometimes you're going the speed limit. You, you're, you're pegged, man. You, you got that thing on cruise control, it's 75, I'm going, there are no 75s around here, is there? I'm, that's Texas days. You go out to Texas, you'll start flying, you'll start seeing some 75. I think they even got some 80 or 85s out there. You got on some open stretch of highway with no trees next to you like you do here, you won't even feel like you're moving. Anybody been out that way, traveled those roads? Yeah, you're not even moving. Are the white lines even going anywhere? I mean, you've like there's, there's no change of scenery. That barn has been next to me for the last 268 miles. But the speed limit says 70. You're going 70. You see the cop, and what do you do? Boom. I just, I just want to make sure. I just, hey, we're just making sure we're in alignment here. Huh? Some evangelists, they can preach that way, man. I'm pulling my foot off the guy. You know, hey, I'm coming down here just in case since you started talking, something's wrong, I'm going to get it right. No, repentance is far more than just a remorse or a regret or I'm sorry. It's a total abandonment. See, when I change my mind about something, When I change my thinking about something, 
when I change my posture about something, I'm not just, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you found out. Or I'm fearful of the punishment that awaits. No, it's a total, I want nothing to do with that. And I want everything to do with this. It's a complete turning away. In Matthew chapter 3, you go back a chapter, and this is when John the Baptist was preaching repentance. In Matthew chapter 3, in the New King James, in verse 8, it reads this way, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Hmm. Bear fruits. You mean repentance can bear fruit. You know, typically when we talk about repentance, we talk about, you know, the, the coming to the recognition that I need to turn from my ways. But this is showing us that there's a greater exercise on the other side of repentance than there was coming to repentance. That apparently something needs to be maintained over time. Something needs to be continued in. Something needs to be uh, become a part of my lifestyle, become a part of my practice, become a part of my daily living. That repentance apparently is not a one-time event. Now, you may mark salvation as your one-time event, right? You can write that down in your Bible. The day you got saved, the day you got born. How many of y'all remember that moment you gave your life to Christ? Come on, show the devil. Come on, show the devil. You remember, I gave my life to Christ. I no longer belong to you. I belong to him. I am the righteousness of God. You can't come at me anymore. I don't live according to your plan and agenda anymore, right? Come on, you need to remember that day. I committed my life to Christ. That's an event. That's a marker. That's a moment. You might remember the, the, the color of the carpet, the people you were with, the pastor that was preaching, the town you were in, the date, the time, whatever. Might have been a revival meeting. Might have been, uh, you know, a special speaker came in. Might have been when you were a child, teenager, adolescent, on up, adult. You remember that moment. But repentance is not just a moment. He says, bear fruit of repentance, meaning this should be an ongoing deal. And I don't know about you, but I've never gotten fruit to show up overnight. Fruit's not something that just automatic, it takes some watering, it takes some care, it takes some attention, it takes some, uh, you know, uh, caring after and caring for. Bear fruits in line with repentance. The Passion Translation reads it this way. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, the passion, you must prove your repentance by a changed life. By a changed life. Prove your repentance by a changed life. Now, this is where we start getting into territory where we start seeing the distinguishing between the traditional repentance and kingdom repentance. Remember, we're reevaluating. We're checking the wineskin. We might be in the wineskin of remorse. We might be in the wineskin of regret. We might be in the wineskin of fear of punishment. We might be in the wineskin of, I'll go ahead and do it and I can repent later. 
Uh-oh. Huh? Got wineskins. And if we mess up the wineskin, we mess up the wine. No, he's saying bear fruit of repentance. Prove a lifestyle changed as a result of repenting from, turning away from. There's another term that is used for repentance in the Bible in Romans chapter 12. Starting with verse 1, Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says what? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, here it is, by the renewing of your mind. And I remind you that renewing the mind is no one else's responsibility but yours. If you've been asking God to renew your mind, he won't do it. He'll help you by the Holy Spirit, but he won't do it for you. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the helper, which means you're still involved. He helps you when you pray. He doesn't pray for you. He prays with you and through you. You participate. You're engaged. You're involved. I'm engaged in the renewing of my mind. You can write it down. I don't have it for the guys in the back, but Colossians chapter 3 says it this way. Set your mind on things above, not on things below, not on things of the earth. Set your mind on the supernatural. Think higher. Think above. Well, his ways are higher. Yes, they are. Get your mind there. Think that way. That's repentance. Repentance is the change of thinking. And many times, we only think of repentance in the form of turning away from sin. Acknowledging that I'm a sinful person. Acknowledging that I have been living outside of the will of God and the plan of God. But we're learning that repentance is far more than just an initial act that gets me in the kingdom and then from there I can think however I want, live however I want, do whatever I want. No, repentance yields fruit of a changed life. Yields fruit that looks different than what I was living in before. It creates a distinguishing. It creates the setting apart of the church. It creates where you can uh, be in the midst of the world, but you don't blend in with the world. We're not talking about removal from the world. We're talking about being right in the middle of it, right in the mix of it, but yet everything around you is blue and you're red. Huh? You can put the, the, the red circle in the middle of a bunch of blue circles and you can easily distinguish and find the red one, can't you? Some Christians, maybe they're a different shade of blue. Or maybe they just are so closely contaminated by the world. He says, no, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then he says this, that you may prove, there it is again, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
The will of God is lived out in my life. His plan, his purpose is lived out in my life so that I can uh, walk out his perfect plan, walk out his perfect way. But you know, as well as I do, you have an idea of how things should happen and God has an idea of how things should happen. And many times the two aren't in alignment. There's a lot of areas that we need to be uh, exercising repentance beyond asking for forgiveness of sins and coming into the kingdom. You know what? If you believed at a time that God put sickness on people to test them, you need to repent and find out his way is to divinely, supernaturally heal you and deliver you because he has taken away the curse of the law of sickness and death. Jesus became the law of sickness. If you believe that God needs you suffering and at the bottom of the barrel, rather than living in abundance and provision and being provided for, you need to repent. If you believe that there are opportunities where it's okay to exercise uh, uh, harbored unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and uh, you know offense towards someone, you need to repent. Huh? There's all kinds of ways we need to be exercising repentance in our lives beyond just the initial coming out of darkness into light. Bear fruit of repentance. Did you know that repentance will yield something in your life? Repentance, he says, can be proven. It can be proven. That word prove means to test. To test as to reveal. When God tests you, it's to reveal what's already there. God doesn't test you beyond what he's already deposited. God never makes a demand where he hasn't first made a deposit. So if you're being tested in arena, in an arena, that means he's saying, I put it in you, now prove that it's there. Prove that it's in you, right? We use this example quite a bit. When a child is tested to go from one grade to the next, they are being tested to proven you've acquired the necessary uh, elements for the sixth grade so we can advance you to the seventh grade. And if you can't prove that, then we may need to do a redo. Am I right, Mama Myrna? May need to hold you back. Or you may need to acquire some additional teaching and some additional lessons. Mark chapter 6, when Jesus came to Nazareth, they didn't have the faith and the belief system to believe that he could do mighty works. They, in fact, got offended at him. And so it says that he did what? Verse 6 says that he went about the towns and villages preaching and teaching. What is he doing? He says, you guys need to go to summer school. We need to do some additional teaching on this subject. Yeah, you didn't get it. I've gone to the other towns. Man, they got it. I got a guy over here that says, man, you don't even need to come to my house. Just speak the word only. Greatest faith I've ever seen. I got another lady coming up behind me just saying, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I don't even need him to acknowledge me. I don't even need him to know I'm in the midst. I'm feeding 5,000, 4,000. I'm multiplying food. I'm calming storms. But then I come home. And you guys don't believe that I can do a mighty work and a sign and a wonder. And it says, not very many. He says, he could not do any mighty works 
there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. It's the only account. Repentance didn't take place. The realigning. So I want to show you today five purposes for repentance. And these are all necessary in our lives, all five of them. This isn't a pick and choose. I'm not giving you a vending machine or a buffet today. All five of these are how you bear fruit of repentance. You could say five fruits of repentance. How can we acknowledge that repentance is in your life? How can we acknowledge, have I really repented? Have I really changed my thinking? Have I really sided with his party? Changed my allegiance from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Number one, of course, we know this one is the turning away from sin. Turning away from sin. Not just the mere acknowledging of sin. It's a full turning away from. Turning away from sin. It's a, uh, you've, you've heard the uh, definition, uh, doing a 180, right? I was headed in this direction. I'm now doing a complete going in the opposite. I'm not just on a little slant of, of I'll do your way, but a little bit of my way. No, it's a complete. He said, turn from your sin with abhorrence to sin. Complete abandonment. I want nothing to do with the sinful lusts, natures, and desires of the fallen man. I want nothing to do with the kingdom of darkness. Nothing to do with that. And I want everything that the kingdom has. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up, gets up in ministers and he says this, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is necessary to turn away from the enemy's way from the kingdom of darkness and to take on the kingdom of light, to take on God's way of doing things. It's acknowledging a sinful behavior, a sinful desire, a sinful nature, and turning completely away from that. And there's the initial repentance, but then, you know, repentance is the exercise beyond the confession of faith. I believe that I'm now a child of God. It's the literal now I will live out. I will no longer participate in the activities of the kingdom of darkness. I will not partner with darkness. I align my mouth. I align my beliefs. I align my heart. I align my actions. I align my behaviors, my attitudes. And Jesus redefined sin for all of us. In your law, it says if you, uh, you know, are, are, are uh, with a woman that you've committed adultery. But I tell you, if you have lusted after them in your heart. So he just redefined the level where this repentance needs to take place. It's not just in the mere, uh, you know, physical action. Don't ever believe someone that tells you, look, but don't touch. They're well on their way. They're on the wide path. Come on. No, Jesus is trying to get us to a heart posture. 
He's trying to get us to the inside. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder. He's going deeper. He's raising the standard. Okay? So we understand that repentance is for the purpose of turning away from sin. Number two, we discover that repentance is for the purpose of aligning our will with the will of the Father. Aligning our will with the will of the Father. In um, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, take another look at that. In the New King James, it reads that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, some people, uh, you know, again, to dumb down Scripture and to dumb down, to, to break it down to our level, think that these are three different words or, or, or three different levels of God's will. That there's a good, there's an acceptable, and then there's a perfect. Well, it might not be the perfect will of God, but at least I'm in the acceptable will of God. That is incorrect. These are three words describing the same will. So what do we need to do if we think that these are three different levels of God's will? We need to repent. That's repentance right there. Father, I repent of thinking that I was in your permissible will when I need to be seeking after the only will that you have for me. Okay? So we understand that that there is a revealing, a proving, and allowing. Um, I, I can't remember which translation it is that says that you will allow his good, acceptable, and perfect will. That's what prove means. It means to allow, means to test. But the Passion Translation reads it this way in verse two. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I like that. Discerning his will. If you are wanting to know the will of God, you need to check up on the areas where you are unrepentant unyielded, still conformed to the way of the world. Because it says that when we repent, when we renew our mind, when we change our thinking, now I become open to his way of doing things, his will. Matthew chapter six, Jesus, uh, you can just write it down, Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches us how to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will ultimately? His kingdom come and his will be done. What is, the way he operates in heaven needs to be the way he operates here on the earth. And this is not, again, I'm trying to get us out of the, this, this lane of sinful activity and recognizing what does God want and what does God not want in a situation? What is his plan and what is not his plan? What aligns with the way he would do something and what doesn't align with the way that he does something? And when you accept uh, something that is out um, of alignment, when you accept something that doesn't agree with his will, then you are accepting an inferior 
product. And it might look the same a little bit, but it doesn't come from the same source. You know, there's only one. I hope I'm getting this correct. I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I should study this element before. Is there only one copy of the Mona Lisa? One original copy? Okay. Or not even copy, the original. I'm not even, don't even use the word copy. The ori- but obviously there's a ton of copies. Huh? He says that we'll be able to discern. I can tell the difference. I can distinguish between. You know, when I worked at a bank, I used to work at a bank, and part of our test and, uh, you know, handling cash was we had to be able to recognize uh, artificial money. We had to be able to tell the difference between. Well, you know how you learn the difference between the two? Study the original. Study the real thing. If you would get in here and study the truth of God's word, you'll never be tricked by the enemy into an inferior product. (laughs) You'll never believe a lie. You'll never fall prey to the enemy when he laces it with a little bit of doubt and unbelief. Well, maybe God was doing this or maybe God was doing that. No. His word says, I just need to study the original. And you can tell, and then they would throw the the artificial in there. It's like, oh, yeah, doesn't feel the same. It's missing elements. Things are off. You you, you figure it out pretty quick. Amen. We need to be able to distinguish between the will of man and and the will of God. Many are the ways that seem right to a man, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. We need to get things back in right alignment with the will of the Father. Number three, number three, it's needed for bearing fruit for the kingdom. Bearing fruit for the kingdom. If you want kingdom results, you have to repent from anything that is not the kingdom. Right? You get good fruit from good seed, but you get bad fruit from bad seed. And if you keep sowing seeds of the world or seeds of the kingdom of darkness or seeds of of man or seeds uh, of anything that's inferior to the kingdom of God, and you're going to end up with results that are inferior to the kingdom of God. And we need to be bearing fruit. He says, bear fruit in line or in order with repentance. That our repentance, a lifestyle of repentance, ought to produce kingdom fruit. What's that? Fruit of the Spirit. You want the fruit of the Spirit to show up in your life? Walk in repentance. Live in repentance. Exercise repentance on a daily basis. And you'll watch the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, the goodness. You'll watch these things come out of your life, be born out of your life. Bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. All right, let me give you a couple more. Number four. Fruit is for the purpose of casting down inferior thinking, casting down inferior thinking. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, the New King James reading, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, there it is, into captivity to the obedience of God. Of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Verse 5 in the Passion Translation reads this way We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bows in obedience to the anointed one. Casting down every thought that exalts and submitting it to the lordship of Christ, submitting it into obedience to the Father. I'll show you where Jesus had to repent. Jesus repented in the garden. A change of mind said, not my will, if there's any other way, But I do not yield to any other way. I do not yield. I do not submit my thought life. I do not submit my attitudes. I do not submit to any little casual thought that comes in. Guys, we have to become better gatekeepers of our hearts and our minds. You can't keep the thought from coming, but you can keep from entertaining it and giving it a place to stay. Some of us are welcoming in thoughts that oppose the kingdom of God, that oppose his agenda, that oppose his plan, that are out of alignment, that have exalted themselves above. The enemy presented a thought to Adam and Eve in the garden. You will not surely die. That's a thought that should have been cast down. That's a fantasy and an imagination that, have been, that should have been brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, under the obedience, submitted. Take it like a prisoner of war, it says. Enforcing it into submission. We've got to handle these thoughts. And repentance is how we do that. It literally means to change your thinking. See, truth, when truth shows up, truth always comes to set you free, period, every single time. And they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Truth is what sets you free, not your idea of truth. Right? We have this whole agenda happening now. Just live your truth. People wanting to alter truth. Why are we always trying to alter the word of God when it has all the life we have ever needed? What you're living in is not life. It might be pleasurable for a moment. Bible says even sin seems pleasurable for a moment. Why do we have such a hard time when sin is addressed, when attitudes are addressed, when thoughts are confronted, and we have a hard time letting them go? It's because they exalt themselves. In pride, they lift themselves up. 
You know, your thoughts want to be worshiped. That's why everyone cares about their opinion. Everybody wants to, their opinion to be bowed down to and worshiped and celebrated. Well, I think this and I think that. No, we've got to have enough on the inside of us by the word of God as a foundation that says, no, I resist that. I reject that. And unless you can give me scriptural basis as a foundation to build upon, I'm not buying that. I was just listening, I just had a, a clip pop up the other day of a minister uh, ministering about our posture toward uh, healing and, and, and sickness and disease and all this stuff. And again, people have a hard time with these things, but Jesus did not have a hard time with these things. Jesus did not struggle with healing and sickness, guys. He did not struggle with demon possession. He didn't get afraid and run away. He didn't ask for the ushers and, and uh, you know, somebody else take care of this. And, and, you know, man, he met this thing, confronted it, challenged it, and set people free. We live bound when we reject truth. There's people that are today choosing their chains of oppression over the liberating truth of the word of God. No, look, you, you don't have to be delivered and set free when you come in here, but you will hear a truth that has the capacity to set you free. And if you resist it and reject it with a hard heart and a proud posture, we can't do anything for you. Jesus couldn't even do anything for you. You end up in the same seat the Pharisees and the Sadducees sat in. Oh, well, if Jesus could just show, oh, the presence of God. The presence of God was right in the midst of these guys, and they left unchanged. In fact, murdered him, put him to death. Yeah, a proud heart is not something you want to mess with. It's not something you want to hold on to. It's not something you want to cater to. Our thoughts, our opinions, our ideas, our ways are foolishness to the word of God. And they ought to bow in submission. He uses aggressive terminology. He says, take as a prisoner of war. It means we're not babying it. We're not taking care of it. We're not asking if it's hungry or thirsty. We're not feeding it. We're not nurturing it. We're not watching over it. We're not entertaining it. We're not comforting it. We live in a culture today that everybody wants their opinion and their thoughts babied and cared for. No, it needs to be taken like a prisoner of war. It needs to be put in chains and bound up behind bars. Not to rule and come out whenever it wants and exercise whatever it wants on your life. Amen. He says, demolish every deceptive fantasy. Are we doing that? Repentance is not soft, guys. Repentance is a hard acknowledgement in turn. And when we do number four, it opens us up to number five. Shifting perspectives. Shifting perspectives. When I will worship team, if you come, when I willing to lay down my thoughts, my ideas, my attitudes, my agenda, my plans, my ways. 
repent from my way of doing things and acknowledge and walk in his way of doing things, my perspective is lifted. I gave you the verse earlier in Colossians chapter three. So then, since you have been raised to life with Christ, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind, set your mind. He's wanting to shift us into a new way of seeing things. Discover new possibilities. Discover his way. Let his will become your will. Let his way become your way. And it's not just about obedience and it's not just about submission and it's not just, but it's about opening yourself up to all that heaven provides for you. But an unrepentant heart cannot receive healing, cannot receive deliverance, cannot receive freedom, cannot receive all the provision of heaven. I heard someone say this recently, and it it shook me when I heard it. He said it this way, you know your mind is renewed when the impossible becomes probable. A renewed mind is no longer impressed by the size of a giant. A renewed mind is no longer impressed by the size of the challenge in front of you. A renewed mind doesn't care what devil shows up in what form. Doesn't care if the devil shows up in a red jumpsuit and a pitchfork or shows up in a more deceptive, cunning way. It recognizes it, it discerns it, it challenges it, it confronts it so that it can open its eyes, shift a perspective to God's way of, I'm telling you right now, God has such a greater way, such a greater answer, such a greater purpose. The things that he can do, man, you start believing more in the possibilities of heaven than the impossibilities of hell. You stop seeing problems and you start finding solutions. You stop just seeing the challenges and you start seeing that you're the answer to the challenge. You're the reason why. That challenge is the reason why you exist to break it down, to destroy it. You face the challenges of life with a greater perspective. We all know this world's not getting any clearer, not getting any brighter. It's only going to get darker. The devastation, the depravity, it's continuing on an immoral trend. We know this, but we're not afraid of it. We're not weakened by it. No, because my mind's renewed to the realities of heaven. Stop complaining about your government. Stop complaining about your president. Stop complaining about your schools. Stop complaining about the problems. Stop stop complaining about inflation. Stop complaining about your business. Stop complaining about finances. Stop complaining about your marriage. You start exalting the greater one. You start lifting up the possibilities. You start believing that there's a solution to every problem. That's a renewed mind. That's a renewed mind. A renewed mind does not have a complaining heart. A renewed mind says, let us go up at once and take this land. Who are those giants that that they dare to defile the name of the Lord Jesus? A renewed mind says, where is he at? 
give me a sling and five stones. A renewed mind says, this is my Lord. Who can be against me? If God is for me, the greater one lives on the inside of me. But when we fail to repent, when we fail to renew our minds, all we see is the impossible. We made the statement on Wednesday night talking about signs, talking about the miraculous. When you have seen the miraculous in operation, you forfeit the right to ever face a challenge from the posture of the impossible. You forfeit the right. You see the miraculous in operation, that should be a point of mind renewal. If he did it before, he'll do it again. If he did it for them, he'll do it for me. the days of being impressed by our problems are over. The day of exalting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords begins the day you repent and renew your mind. Begins the moment that you submit your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the natural, yeah, it looks impossible. In the natural, it's never been done. In the natural, we don't have an answer. In the natural, we don't even know what it is. But I need a perspective shift. I need to come up higher. Set your mind on things above. Your marriage is not the first marriage that God has ever had to heal and deliver. Your child isn't the first child that God hasn't ever had to touch with his healing power. Your mind isn't the first one he's ever had to engage with depression and anxiety. You haven't all of a sudden found a problem so big that God cannot change it or address it. (laughs) You are not the exception to the rule. Quit exalting yourself above the authority of Christ. Submit it. We turn from our sins. We align with his will. We shift our perspectives. We bring any oppressive thought or anything in opposition under the lordship of Christ. This is what repentance will do in your life. Bear fruits of repentance. Father, we come to you now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.